The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Hey everyone, welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing. As always, I am Darren Carp. Oh, that sounds like you were like coming down the aisle at the Price is Right. Okay, well, I'm Liz Kelly to the stage. Come on down. That's, <laughs> you know, that's my dream, Liz. So give this one to me. Come I on. Know. I always want to, I, I specifically want to announce. What would your game show be, though? Which one do you want to host, Darren? Because that's that's really your destiny. I mean, I would host Price is Right. I wouldn't scoff at it, but like Let's Make a Deal has always been my favorite one, hosted by Wayne Brady right now. I just love all the costumes. I love the doors. There was a math problem created for Monty Hall. He is my idol. He is my everything. So I would really like to do Let's Make a Deal, a game show gods, if you're listening. Have you ever interviewed Wayne Brady? I have interviewed Wayne Brady, actually, a few times, and I've met him a few times. He's very nice, very nice guy. That's your dude, then. I mean, the move. If Drew Carey can host the prices, right? Like, come on. Then anyone can do anything. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, yeah, like I I still have the newspaper (laughs) clipping from when I was 16. So this is like probably 16 years ago now of when CBS announced that they were reviving Let's Make a Deal. And instead of having Monty Hall, they were going to have Wayne Brady. And I cried not because I don't like Wayne Brady, but because I wanted it to be me. And I cried and I still have that newspaper clipping. I think this is it. Is this it? I support it. Okay, this is it. It's going to happen. Wayne Brady, move over, motherfucker. Well, sweetie, I have so many game show things, like so many weird game show things to have happened to me that I just feel like it's it's got to happen. Like I just have to be a game show host. Like there's just there's too many weird coincidences for such a niche specific job that I'm like, hello, like, come on. I mean. We'll have to get into it at some point. I hope so. I, I really hope that happens for you. Thank you. I'm dead serious. Thank and you. And I want to be a contestant. Okay, but I'm not rigging that shit for you. I'm not rigging it. You better play like normal. No, I know you're not going to rig it. I'm just saying, can I, could I? Hmm. You could. You give me a good. I would probably be terrible. (laughs) The only thing I would be good at is the prices, right? Because I actually know what shit costs. Well, that's the difference between, and and let's make a deal is very similar because it's it's really just based on that, except let's make a deal is kind of like, do you want to see what behind door three or do you want $500 in cash right now? And like, it's basically like, you don't have to be, an intellect, like an intellectual titan to get these games, which is why I don't like when people think that Jeopardy is a game show. It's not, it's a quiz show. It's different. Ooh, okay. We could get into this. You know what I watched is that I did watch, sorry, not that this really matters at all, but I'll just tell you, I watched the new spinoff to like Jeopardy with the dude that was the biggest winner. Yeah, Ken Jennings, one of the biggest winners. And I didn't care, yeah, one of them, but I didn't care for it. It was a very strange format of a show. I don't know. I I mean, I think he would be a good guy to have the legacy. I actually think that like George Stephanopoulos or Anderson Cooper would be really a good Jeopardy host to take over from Alex. Cause I feel like you do need this like newsy type, but someone who can mm. also like kind of talk pop culture and like relate to the people because the hardest part about Jeopardy outside of, I'm sure pronouncing everything correctly, which I get wrong all the time is the little banter in between the first and second round when you have to talk to each contestant. Do you know how hard that is to like make a little banter fun and interesting for middle America? Very difficult. Yeah, because we do it. Right. (laughs) Very very hard. Very hard. But anyway, sorry, I really derailed things. I'm fine. I'm recovering from a bee injury. I saw on your Instagram. Apparently ravioli is recovering from a bee thing, not you. No, I am. Okay. She's fine. She's drugged out on Benadryl. I, on the other hand, lost years of my life because I thought my dog was going into anaphylactic shock, which she did not. 
She ate a bee on her walk. I no. didn't even see her do it. I can't even believe she did it. How did she eat a bee? Because when you one day, if you ever get a little puppy, yeah. they're just all over they're the garbage goddamn disposals. place. disposals. Like they just yes. eat everything. I don't yeah. know what. They're just like, rah, 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 rah. like yeah. they're all over the place. Totally. And yeah, and I came back and she was in her crate and she looked like a platypus. And I went to you know, the please, emergency please. vet. Anyway, so we're we're surviving. I was very stressed, but we're okay over here. How I mean, are you? At least it's just kind of a matter of like getting a Benadryl shot and like recovering. You know what I mean? As if she her body was whole. I mean, I know she was a little like platypus on her little um mouth jowls or whatever, but if her whole body had reacted negatively, like I would have flipped out. I get that. I understand feeling crazy. Um, my weekend was, it was fine. We went shopping. I showed Nadine a new area of New York that she had never seen before. I showed her a little bit of Alphabet City, little Lower East Side. You know, every day it's kind of a different, it's been snowing here. I've never seen it snow so much in my 32 years of living, but certainly my 12 years of living in New York City. It's been crazy, but you know what? Like I'm here for it. I love the snow. I, I don't care. Like, I'm all cozy, about it. Cozy, cozy vibes. Cozy, cozy vibes. I just really want a fireplace like the guys have in LA. That's all. I don't even know why mm. you guys have fireplaces in LA, and yet you do. I have a fireplace, and it doesn't, it's just for a decorative. It's decorative. Fuck you. It's Fuck you. Decorative. You're decorative. <laughs> Fuck you for your decorative piece of shit. I have a question for you. I can't wait. Someone has a question for us, so can we get to the queue? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. Guys, we want to welcome you to the queue where we share some highlights and happenings within the LGBTQ plus and ally community. And don't be shy, listeners. We want to hear from you too. If you've got the scoop or have someone you want us to shout out, feel free to shoot us a DM at SIAT Podcast on Instagram or Twitter. Okay, let's start with our fan question first, or listener question rather. I believe this person wants to I remain anonymous. So let's call this person Q. How about that? Oh, yeah, Q, Q. Not Q and unrelated. Just. Staying, oh stating that for... Okay, hold on. We have so many DMs that I'm <laughs> pulling it up. Okay. Yes. Are you ready? Yeah. What advice would you have for someone who came out to themselves as bi slash pan at 27 years old when they are already married to a man? P.S. I love your podcast and listen every day while I get ready for work. I don't have any friends in the community, so your podcast is that for me. You do have friends. We are your friends. We are your friends, Q. Um, I'm only calling you Q because I think I need something to like state. All right, here's yeah, my yeah, advice. Yeah. And Liz, you're married, so I think that you might even have a more delicate and nuanced opinion than I do. But there's, <laughs> okay. there's a number of different <laughs> factors. First off, you're not alone. Like, so many people discover their full sexuality later in life. And by later, I mean in their 20s and their 30s. I mean, and 40s and 50s for sure. Sometimes much later. Sometimes much later. But like, I think most people would assume when you're married, like you figured it out. You know, like you met your person. Of course you're straight. You married a dude, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm sure when people look at you being married to a woman, they're like, okay, lesbian. And like, figured it out. Bisexuality confuses people. Uh, The fact that you could be married to a woman, but also still attracted to men. So you're not alone in this. So many people, especially women, because I think there's a lot of societal pressures on who we should marry and when we should marry and having kids and blah, 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 gets put on us at a young age. So straight up, you're not alone. Secondly, I mean, good for you to have that conversation and be willing and open enough to be vulnerable with yourself. The hardest thing for me, at least with coming out was coming out to myself and admitting that maybe my life wasn't going to be as easy as I felt like others might be based in this one situation. That was difficult. I recommend, depending on your relationship with your husband, depending on if he's a good guy and it's a healthy relationship and you have open communication, to talk to him about it. Because I think there are certain scenarios 
Not always the case. And Liz, jump in here where you can be honest to your partner and your partner might give you the space to explore that and still be married and still in a committed relationship. And it's okay. And, but having this partner who you married must say something about this relationship. And so I think being open and honest and kind of figuring out together is pretty important. What do you think about this, Liz? I think that's great advice, Darren. Thank you. Two, I, yeah, I think you should be open to giving yourself the space to explore, to giving your partner the space to educate themselves if they are uneducated about what being pan, pan and buy is. Yep. Some time to digest. Totally. And the opportunity to like grow with you. And I think not everybody has a cookie cutter relationship. Not most everybody people has. Don't. Most people Yeah, don't. most people don't. You know, at 27, that's kind of when I really came out publicly. Right. right. And it's so, still pretty young. Like we're talking that's old because a lot of people, hella do, it's hella young though. Like it's, <laughs> you're a baby still. I'm a baby still. You're a baby still. We're still in our thirties. I'm more concerned that she's married that young. She's a team bred. Yes. So yes. I would say, give yourself the opportunity to grow. Congratulations for being I think motherfucking cool enough to not just be, you know, what everybody wanted you to be or what you thought you were. Everybody changes throughout their life. And I think, you know, Darren said it best. You're not alone. There are so many people like you out there. Right. The internet is a really weird place, but it's also can be a very healing and fun place to find community. Yes. And since we're all in our houses anyway, might as well reach out. Maybe you can find a homie here or there. Well, yeah. And, and it's possible that your husband might not react the best way. It's possible he yeah. might be pissed. It's possible he might say absolutely not to you exploring. And those are types of things that you're going to have to reassess. And maybe exploring isn't the, the risk of exploring isn't worth your marriage, in which case, okay, like you're going to be in a monogamous relationship and that might not take away from your attraction to your husband in any sort of way. But I think there's a lot more nuances on the other side and there's something to be said for wanting to explore something without hurting the current relationship that you're in. And and that comes from being super honest and open with your partner. Couldn't have said it better. All right. Agreed. Okay. All right. I'm just going to go eat a B now and then go take some Benadryl. Oh my God. I hope you answered your question, Q. Uh, But thank (laughs) you for listening to us. And uh, we hope that we are your friends and please feel free when pandemic is over to come have a drink with, with Liz or I on the opposite coast. We'd be happy to. I'm just inviting him. Why not, Liz? Yeah, yeah, okay. Why not? I'm like, whoa. Liz, I mean, I want to have drinks. You're letting okay, your dog cool. eat bees? Like, fuck's sake, Liz. Okay. I'm not letting her eat bees. Yeah. She just well, did it on she her did. own. She her did. body, her choice. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's my question for you, Liz. Okay. So I restarted watching Allie McBeal from like the 90s and early 2000s. Have you ever seen this? So I watched one episode of Allie McBeal. And you had told us before on the show that you would rewatch this. Yep. And there was a baby, like a dancing child, yes. like in yes. the show. And it, yes. I think I was really stoned and it freaked me out. Uh-huh. I never re-engaged. But anyway, tell me about Ally McBeal because I know it's a fan fave. It's funny because I remember the dancing baby too. And like as a Terrifying. kid, when it came out, I was probably, I think he came out in like 98. Don't quote me on that. So I was 10. You know, I watched it with my mom and like, you know, you can get a show and have a good time and like understand the scripted value. I was smoking weed and camel wide on filters. By God, that I was not. I was very nerdy, very into school, but you don't, <laughs> you don't get all the references, you know? And like, first off, as a 10 sure. year old, Allie McBeal is like this 28 year old lawyer. And I thought she was like, 
you know, when you're 50. 10, you're like, you're never going to be that old. You know what I mean? It's, it's now 28. <laughs> Hello, uh, listener who DM'd us. You are Allie McBeal's right. age. So this is, this is very important. I, uh, so I was rewatching it and I'm on second season. Portia de Rossi's in it. It's just like Lucy Liu. Like it's just, it's so fucking great. Lucy Liu. Lucy Ooh, Liu. Throwback. And it's so yes. of a time. Like if you watched it now, like it's not going to hit all the PC standards. It's certainly very like, not. you know, sexualizing women in some ways, but as a scripted innovative show for the nineties, it, it holds up in my opinion. And I was watching it and you remember Courtney Thorne Smith? The babe, I mean, Courtney Thorne's babe, like, babe, babe alert, babe. Her name's Georgia in the show. And so Allie McBeal goes on this date, late twenties, goes on this date with this guy who's like horrendously ugly, boring, you know, just like your typical bad fucking date. And she tries to say no, but like most women, she has this problem kind of rejecting this guy. And when she kind of rejects him, he takes it as a sign of like, I need to be persistent. So he sends her tons of flowers. He shows up at her oh, office, God. you know, you know, whatever the, the scripted trope is. Right. So mm-hmm. he shows up to the office and Allie McBeal goes, Georgia, like come into my office, like before he gets in there. And, oh, and, um, Jane Krakowski's in it as well. Jane Krakowski is like Allie McBeal's oh assistant. I know you're missing. This is how she got her what? start. I need, maybe I do need to watch and it. And so okay. Jane Krakowski, Elaine is like, all right, sir, you can come into Allie's office. And the guy opens a door and Allie and Georgia, Courtney Thornsmith and Calista Flockhart are making out. And this is Ooh. to get the dude to obviously be like, I'm barking up the wrong tree. Right. Which eventually does. He's a super religious guy and says like, she's sinful and she can change her ways and blah, 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 blah. That's not really the point of the story. My, my question to you is like, if you saw that in today's lens of 2020, you saw a seemingly cishet woman make out with a seemingly cishet woman, uh, in order like gay for pay, if you will, in order to get rid of a guy, are you offended by it? Do you care? Have you ever done this? Hmm. I don't care. Okay. You know, you and I have talked a lot about safety and how, and a lot of our guests have talked about how they actually don't feel safe coming out as bisexual or lesbian in front of straight men because it like turns them on or it's super sexual or, and it's almost inviting because as if two women couldn't pleasure each other without a male presence there. Right. Of course. So I've, I have done a lot of pretending to not be queer around men because I, men, I don't know because I'm scared. Yeah. Further into liking you essentially. I mean, it's hard to push people into further liking me, but yes. True. True. (laughs) But like I have done so many shady things in my life. So I'm sure I've done that. (laughs) It doesn't bother me. It would be interesting. If I saw it on today's TV though, that's an interesting question. Because this is obviously, I'm watching this. I know. Like, I have a 2021 lens on, but I, I, I on also like understand. Right. And I understand that, like, the references are going to be dated and maybe what we allowed to be on television, not making it right. I'm just saying that I understand sure. the lens under which I'm watching it. Yeah, I don't know. I think it would, it's funny because, and obviously, you know, I just finished watching The L Word, which is sure. crazy problematic. Like, watching crazy. it now, I'm like, yeah. uh, this is wildly racist. There's so many tropes. Like, this is whack. I mean, the L word, there's a lot of whackness to it. Totally. Um, and it's also just like porn, which I'm not mad at per I'm se, but I'm like, sad about it, though. <laughs> yeah, I'm not like crying about it. I think I would think it was lame. Do you know what I mean? If totally. I saw that, I'd be like, that's lame writing, but it doesn't offend me. But yeah. I think in the context, like you said, you're watching something from a long time ago. Like, listen, Ghost holds up, folks. Yeah. Let me tell you. <laughs> 
But at the same time, there are so many things that don't hold up about Ghost and it's also super racist. But I'm watching an older movie. Yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's hard. So if I watch something that was really homophobic, I'm like, well, I'm not, that's dumb. I don't even think that this is homophobic, right? I think this is showing that female sexuality can be used as a weapon and be can be used sure. as either a sure. restraint for the man or this kind of like get up and go gas them attitude. Okay, guys, scissoring Facebook, the comments are insane. Darren and I typically <laughs> only get on Facebook. I'm not talking about Instagram. Totally. Facebook is like old men. It's like 90 Day Fiance. It's like, yeah. you know how people say, oh, I met this guy on Facebook. And you're like, how the fuck did you I'm meet like, this guy on people Facebook? People are still using Facebook? Yeah, right. No, no. But like, I know why. Because we get primarily men that message us insane shit. Sure. So for instance, they always comment on our name. And yesterday I was looking and this guy wrote, oh, I know scissoring is a thing because I've seen so many girls do it. And I wrote, sure you did, Carl. Because <laughs> I just can't help myself. Like, yeah, if you look up scissoring on Google into Pornhub, I'm sure you could yeah, see like women doing loser. that. Like, So I think, you know, again, I think it's interesting you bring up this like idea that female sexuality in particular, like queer female sexuality is used as a weapon, both good and can bad. Can be. I'm not saying it always can is. Be. I'm just saying no, it can be. No, 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 be. it yeah. can be. Yeah. yeah, fair. And I think it totally can. And maybe I'm desensitized from it at this point, but interesting. I would just like to watch Calista Flockhart. Make out with Courtney Thorne-Smith. <laughs> make out with Courtney Thorne-Smith. I will yeah. send you the YouTube clip. Um, I thought about this for a while because- like when I'm watching the show and I, first off, I'm not really one to be offended from jump. Like it kind of takes me a while to like realize right. that I should be offended by something. So maybe I'm not the art the pristine argument for this. But first off, I was like, oh shit. Like in the nineties, like I was kind of surprised that they showed that. Like I was actually surprised that this was yeah, like I would be a family fair. show that they showed that because it wasn't, you know, quote unquote, okay back then in the same way. Right. Um, of course, women making out with women, I think, was a, an easier thing socially to digest than men making out with men on camera for what tons of misogynistic reasons and tons of female sexuality reasons. But I I looked at it. And so I was like, oh, shit, like, I can't believe they showed that 30 years ago, like or 25 years ago. I was like, that's impressive. While also thinking, I don't think that they could show that today, not women kissing, but women fake being a sexuality uh, to get out of a situation. Yeah. However. This made me think about a, one of my ex-girlfriends. The first date her and I went on was at a bar. And we had met a Tinder and we were like getting to know each other. We were just literally having a drink in the middle of winter. And these two guys came up to us, which if anyone has ever been a lesbian and knows on their date, if you're on a date and you see these two guys coming up to you, normally you say, uh-oh. Like normally in your head, I feel you're like, oh, fuck. And so- Guys came up to us and they started flirting with us and hitting on us. And here I am trying to get to know this girl. Like I didn't know her before. It's not my current girlfriend. Didn't know her, whatever. And these guys, like they weren't being mean, but they were harassing in a way that was annoying where I was like, can you please leave us alone? Like we're trying to. And so her and I kind of made this quick decision of, do we tell them that we're dating? Like you, like, is that going yeah. to entice them more? Or do we play like we're sisters? And so we decided for the latter route, which was like, we pretended that we were sisters and they wouldn't stop leaving us alone. So we made the decision. Uh, so I kind of like did the reverse of the Ally McBeal thing. And then we made the sure. decision to go to the bathroom together, which in lesbian world usually means kissing in order to literally escape these guys. So we the could worst. have a drink and have a private conversation. 
and we escaped to the bathroom and these guys were knocking on our door and we had to pretend that one of us was sick. They're like, hey, you guys going to come out here to come talk to us? So we had to pretend that someone was sick just so we could have like a 35 minute conversation alone in this bar. We could have left. We still had our drinks. Like we were still trying to like, you know, hang out. It was cold. It was winter or whatever. I hate this My point is I sort of used the opposite in order to get these guys out of the way. And I was like, if you're using the opposite, I don't see why you couldn't. Like you're pretending to be something else in order to get guys away from you. And so I think as a general rule, if I'm okay with doing that, I have to be okay doing this. That's my take. Okay. Well, I'm really sorry for that experience, Darren. Yes. Well, God, I'm just saying I I, I have been there. I mean, and you, you know, it's, you have to kind of weigh these pros and cons, but I just thought it was interesting to see. I've, I've said I was pregnant a lot now that I think about it. That's amazing. So that like, I wouldn't get like raped by a crazy Uber driver or like, yeah, I've done a lot of like, I'm pregnant. You think that a rapist is going to be like, oh, I'm not going to touch her because she's pregnant. Yeah. A lot of people won't kill a pregnant lady. Maybe we should introduce our next guest. We have our first politician on yes, the show. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Ryan Fecto. And I'm, we were excited to talk to him from Maine. He actually is responsible for getting shit done as opposed to just talking about getting shit done like you and me. I love it. <laughs> And he is single, folks. Yes, he is. Very cute. So cute. So innocent. I could not help but bring up some grinder jokes. Obviously. And I apologize in advance. But really fun to have an openly gay politician on the show. He totally rolled with it. He was lovely. Not sure if he thinks scissoring isn't a thing or not. Not sure if that's going to be on the legislation in Maine anytime soon, but he was a lovely person to talk to. And we learned a lot about politics and how to get stuff done. And, you know, sometimes it isn't just a matter of like the first step in something is like believing it. And then the next step is getting more people to believe it. And then the third step is convincing your politicians to kind of believe it as well. And then the fourth steps kind of change, but that could take decades and years as we, as we have sort of seen. And we talk about conversion therapy and uh, religion. Which he got banned in Maine. In Maine. Which he got banned in Maine, um, at least was a helpful proponent of that. And so it was a really good conversation with someone who was actually affecting change on a, on a real worldwide platform. And we were lucky to get Ryan. So uh, here's Ryan. Hope you guys enjoy it. Well, well, Liz, we've got an exciting next guest, don't we? We sure do. I'm on my P's and Q's today, let me tell ya. you. You are very prim and proper. It's me being from Jersey that has to mind their P's and Q's today because today we have Speaker of the House of Representatives in Maine, the lovely Speaker Ryan Fecto. He is serving his first term as Speaker of the House and fourth term in the Maine House of Representatives, representing part of his hometown of Biddeford. I hope I got that right, Ryan. You did, you did. Ryan is both the youngest presiding officer in the United States. He's younger than both of us, ladies and gentlemen, and he is the first openly gay speaker in Maine's history. He is responsible for presiding over all actions of the House of Representatives. In his service to the state, he has also chaired the Labor, Commerce, Research, and Economic Development Committee and served a term as assistant House Majority Leader. Essentially, Ryan has done more in his 28 years of life than Liz and I have done in our collective 60 years of living on this earth. Is that right, Liz? This is safe to say? I think that is accurate. Yes. Yes, dear. I think that you can add that to your bio, Ryan. He's certainly Uh, certainly done a lot better things than you and I have done for the world. So that's true. And I know your your bio, we have a lot to discuss, but I definitely want to mention this because uh, in the 129th legislature, Fecto 
succeeded at banning the harmful practice of conversion therapy in Maine. We're definitely going to get to that. He has also been a champion for career and technical education, CTE, and sponsored legislation to allow Maine's 27 CTE schools to make long overdue investments in equipment and capital projects. He graduated from Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and he's French Canadian, which is very, you're very luxe here. You're very foreign to us here. So we're lucky to have you. Welcome to Scissoring Isn't a Thing, Ryan. Thank you for having me. I appreciate that that really uh, robust in- introduction. That was that was wonderful. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to have you around more often. Should I call you Speaker or like Mister Fecto or Ryan? Ryan is fine. Yes, yes. Not I'm getting good. I'm getting used to people like in default uh, calling me Mister Speaker. I, it's very strange. Is that Not actually bad. what you're supposed to say though? If it's yeah, if you're I being think, formal, I think, that's, I think that's like the the way things work. Yeah, Mister Speaker, just Mister Speaker, or just is Mr. it Mister Speaker? Speaker yeah. Just Mister Speaker. Mm. Yeah. Dude, yeah. if I like, this is why I can't be in politics because I swear to God, if I was a speaker, I would make my girlfriend call me that. Yeah, my for parents, sure. like, I would be like, excuse, I would be like, check your privilege, check your name. I'm in government. Like, react accordingly. So, yeah, I Ryan, think, Ryan, I, you should correct people and be like, it's actually Mister Speaker. Yeah, to yeah, you. right. Dr. Speaker of the House, you know, I said you were an openly gay representative, obviously, so I'm assuming we know how you're going to answer this question, but every one of our guests, we ask uh, how they identify. Would you mind answering that question for us, even though I kind of already did it for you? I want you to put it in your own words if you if you would like. Yeah, I, I've been gay for quite a while, so I think that's, <laughs> I think that's how I would define myself. Okay. Yeah. Some would argue <laughs> since birth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some would argue since birth. Some. Exactly. Derek. Some. <laughs> some. Some. Well, some. So I'd say you're born with it. I realize it's been a controversial topic for quite a while, but, uh, yes. you know. Well, on that note, I guess you've been gay for quite some time. Have, yep. uh, if you don't mind, have you been out for a long time? Yeah. I, ca- I came out my freshman year of college. So, yeah. So, okay. So, about know, 10 not years long ago, ago? given my age, as you, as you well know. So, it was, it was probably, I think it was like 2000. Uh, 11 or, or so to friends and then to my to my parents the actually the day that New York State passed marriage equality in their legislature I was working on Maine's marriage equality campaign as a as a field organizer I was in the office late and was inspired by the the action that um, New York had taken the New York Assembly had taken uh, you would think that my mom would have known that I was likely gay given the fact that I was working on the marriage equality campaign but uh, it came as a complete shock to her. So what did it? And how did that conversation go? Yeah, uh, it mostly went like me telling her and then her just crying and crying and crying and crying. But like, not like I'm upset kind of thing. Just like, <laughs> I don't know, just like the shell shock of it. Or, uh, it was just a, it was a very long embrace that I was incredibly uncomfortable with, but I just went with it. So well, I'm curious because you're the you're the first politician we've really had on this show. And obviously, you know, you can affect change. You you people look up to you, you have a voice, you know, and like obviously Liz and I do, but it may be a more limited capacity. And I'm curious because obviously in politics, it's a slog. Things take forever. You know, just because the marriage equality thing was decades in the making and, and it takes a long time. And so you probably have to have a lot of patience. And when you see that your mom is upset, maybe mourning the loss of the life of her child that she wanted, you know, mourning that idea of it, were you impatient with her? Were you patient? Were you like, sometimes things just take time? Like how much of your political leanings maybe helped you kind of overcome maybe the initial shock of her crying about it? That's that's a really good question. I think I I had been at that point so comfortable with who I was that 
and it was almost kind of silly that it, like that that was the reaction but at the same time i understood that like you know this was a critical component of who i am obviously and uh for her a critical component of knowing who i am fully and so i think i think it was more her reaction i think she was more so reacting to the fact that uh she was getting to, to know me better <laughs> it, you know it sounds silly but like i think that's really what was the the crux of of the reaction and there was never a negative uh, negative reaction or uh hostility or anything like that although it's you know you build yourself up for that that as as you can probably relate you know building yourself up for that like announcement to mm-hmm. to someone who has known you your, your entire life you psych yourself out i mean you think of all of the worst things that could possibly happen right. you catastrophize course, yeah yeah and then of course it's like it was like nothing I, but uh, right. and obviously that's not the experience for every person in the lgbtq community i, I want to recognize that obviously but I think for the most part, like this thing typically goes well and it's hard. Or to rather get you get point. through it, right? Yes. I think yeah. I, as corny as this is, a Peloton instructor that uh, <laughs> I rode with this summer said, <laughs> I know it's like so cheesy, but here we are in quarantine. She said something that resonated with me that I think kind of relates to what you're saying, which is we, you know, today we've actually survived all of our worst days. Mm-hmm. And I think, Darren, you're right you know, we make this into such a huge thing because it is such a big part of us and who we are and allowing for people to get to know us more that, you know, what, you know, sometimes we think about the worst, right? The worst reaction. You said you came out to your friends first. Were they super cool and accepting? Were any of them also LGBTQ plus? Were you hanging out with the queers, as they no, say in college? No, I, I really wasn't. I really wasn't, which is kind of funny. I, but they uh, such a positive reaction. In, in fact, one of my one of my best friends, I told I told him first, and then I I told our, another one of our best friends, and she thought that we had like schemed this joke, and we were just playing a joke on her that I was like totally making making up. It's so, like no, this is this is totally real. Like I, what were you doing, Ryan? Were you just like in the gym <laughs> pumping iron no, all the time, no. crushing, yeah, yeah getting right. swole, crushing no. beer cans on your head? <laughs> that would be an interesting depiction of of me uh, that no yeah. one. <laughs> that no one would be able to affirm it as, as factual, so. You know, I'm curious because I am a pretty secular person. I grew up without religion in my life at all. I come from a, my, my dad's Jewish, my mom's Catholic, but we're not religiously affiliated at all. In fact, I'm sort of anti-religion. And so forgive me sir, for sort of asking this because I'm curious because Catholicism, in my opinion, doesn't seem to be uber friendly to the gay community or the LGBTQ plus community. And you came from... Catholic University, which I imagine has Catholic leanings. So how hard was it to come out? And I could be wrong and please dispel this rumor, but how hard was it to come out in a heavily Catholic environment? It was challenging, uh, but not amongst the student body, which I think is a real representation of, of the church itself. I think you look at polls, for example, uh, regarding the you know Catholics and how they felt about marriage equality. And they were the group of, of Americans where you started to see that change, that sea change in how people felt in their hearts and their minds about marriage equality. And amongst my peers at Catholic, there was a great amount of support because I wasn't the only gay person on campus. There were lots of gay right, people of course. on campus. And uh, there was a really, there was actually a pretty vibrant LGBTQ community at, at Catholic. The, the challenge came with the administration. They refused to recognize an LGBT student group on campus that was basically meeting underground, uh, un- unable to, you know, reserve space on campus, so on and so forth. And so that was really where I found the greatest challenge was trying to convince the administration 
that uh, this student group deserved to be recognized like any other group on campus. And were you actively petitioning for recognition or space with your LGBTQ plus friends and kin- yeah. counterparts? Yeah. 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 We were. We were. We applied for official recognition, I think, in 2012 and ended up being denied. On the basis of what? Well, Catholic University is the official university of the Catholic Church in the United States, which I I don't think a lot of people realize. And so there's this conflict between, I think, what some folks in the administration probably wanted to do and those who are on the board of trustees made up of cardinals and bishops. And so, you know, really, really challenging, uh, I think, conflict there. And it's pri- it's a private school, right? And it's a private institution. Yeah. And- so if it's a private institution, oh, I'm not saying that they're not allowed to do it. <laughs> Are you still a practicing Catholic? Yeah, I, I would say I'm pretty much the uh, stereotypical cafeteria Catholic, as they would call it. So, oh, uh, wait, you know. describe what, what to is, us what a cafeteria yeah. Catholic is, please. Please. You, uh, you know, definitely participate in the in the big masses, Easter and Christmas, and the traditions that come with those holidays, and attend mass on occasion. Right now, I've, I've been consuming a lot more because I can just, you know, watch Facebook Live, which seems like the easiest way to participate in mass ever. More comfortable chairs, I got to be honest, if you're watching yeah. Facebook. Those pews <laughs> are not meant to be sat in for a long time, let me tell you. I'm like, why, why am I sitting up on this thing? Right from bed. It's so, it's so nice. It's, it's right. great. It's great. Uh, so, yeah, it's I, I definitely consider myself Catholic. And, and what I found in D.C., which was really awesome, is a large group of LGBTQ Catholics. There's a national organization called Dignity USA, which is comprised of, of LGBTQ people who are Catholic. And there was a chapter in D.C. And so they had their actually their own mass on Sundays in DuPont Circle that I would go to on occasion and uh, have the opportunity to be with other gay people who were Catholic and uh, having a, an affirming church, which was really nice following the, the Catholic traditions. Do you find that being that you're in politics and you are openly gay, do you think that sometimes for, you know, I, I guess my interpretation of Washington politics is a lot of older generation folks that are in, you know, have positions and that perhaps aren't necessarily homophobic or anti-gay, but maybe they're just a little bit more traditional. Do you think that you being not only gay, but very open about your religious beliefs and and still quite active, that that makes you in some sense more palatable to some of those individuals that might not necessarily have gay friends or know gay people or even know anyone that is gay in politics? Uh, It's a good question. I mean, I think there's obviously a lot inherently about me that that are points of privilege. I mean, I'm I'm a white man. That inherently makes me more receptive from some people than other than other people would be in in my position. I come from a predominantly white community. I mean, there's like all these other aspects. I think the Catholicism thing, being Catholic, certainly is another relationship that I have and, and can build with people. Uh, my colleagues who are also Catholic or uh, have practiced religion can relate to me in that way. So I think I think there's there's ends and there's and there's some things that. I recognize our points of privilege that other people who are people of color or, you know, women, they don't have that luxury that I do. You know, I'm gay, but I don't wear, I don't, I'm not wearing that on my sleeve. Uh, like, you know, someone who's a person of color where that is how they're going to be defined from the moment someone sees them. That right. giant rainbow tattoo on your face, though, kind of does say it all, Ryan. You, I mean, come on, like let let's be reasonable here. I mean, the uh, the teardrop rainbows. So, not to belabor the point, <laughs> I, but I, I do feel put like the agenda on, my, on the back of my t-shirt. Yeah, yeah do right. You? Exactly. Well, I was just gonna say you had to get the rainbow to cover up the teardrop, like uh, exactly. <laughs>
you know, not to belabor the point, but I think there's something really interesting about being part of something and believing in something where they don't necessarily accept you, at least right from the start. You know, you're petitioning, you're you're on the front lines trying to get your college's university to kind of change their views right now in politics. And we don't have to get into the weeds with it, but I think right now, half the country, whichever half that you may lie on, sort of feels like they're part of something that doesn't want them or that doesn't accept them for who they are. What would you say, Democrat, Republican aside, what would you say to those people who are involved in something that they want to believe in, but they're being sort of rejected by? How do you deal with that cognitive dissonance sometimes? Yeah, I I think we're at a point that is obviously one of the most challenging moments in perhaps our country's history. Obviously, the events that we saw uh, last week of an insurrection. I mean, January 6th, yeah. Mm-hmm. Literally a mob who stormed our, our, our capital and caused terror. I mean, there it was a terrorist attack on U.S. soil in the building, I think that is seen as a symbol of democracy. And so how do we get people to be part of the process again and yeah. believe in our institutions is a really immense challenge. I mean, we struggle with this every single day in, in state capitals across the country because What's happening in Washington obviously fl- flows over into, into the work that we're doing. And I think it starts at the grassroots like most things do. You know, I, I remember th- working on the marriage equality campaign and having conversations with people again. Uh, we have isolated ourselves into social media bubbles where we hear the same people affirm what we believe over and over and over again. And if we don't, if we don't like what, what they say or what they think or if they respond to us negatively, we delete them or we unfriend them or we block right. them. Um, sure. And, and we, we need to find ways to have productive conversations with one another again. And, and social media is not the place to have it. I think you know, we have to find ways to bring people in our communities together to have real conversations face-to-face. Obviously, COVID <laughs> makes that a lot more challenging, but people don't say the same kind of stuff that they're going to say on social media when they're typing behind their keyboard as they would when they're speaking to someone one-on-one or in a group setting, we just got to find those inroads and realize, I think, for the most part, <laughs> the challenges that we face that we think we're on the opposite sides of, uh, I think we're actually on the same side. I think right. there's a lot. A I lot think that- the means are different, right? Like, yeah. no one wants people to be homeless and hungry. Like, there's no one person out there that's like, yes, let's starve people. It's like, 100%. but the question is, like, how do we do that? You know, how much... How much can we actually do that and come together with it? I'm curious if you actually think, though, that politicians in your experience, you know, it's easy to type behind a keyboard anonymously, but it's also easy for a politician to say something in front of the American people and then behind closed doors make a deal that they're not, but which they know would might be outside of their party lines and therefore not get voted in again. So how much do you see that happening in politics? I think that's clearly a struggle that occurs all the time is making sure that uh, you remain electorally viable and mm-hmm. also do the right things and, and be able to move policy forward. And uh, I think that's, the, I think it's a real struggle for the Republican party right now, uh, for yeah. example, because I think, I hope most of them recognize that what happened last week is completely appalling, unlawful and, you know, requires accountability, but they also, uh, I'm sure recognize that those folks who stormed the Capitol last week are people that probably vote for them. <laughs> Right. And and so there's this internal battle as, as as it has been played out for the last four years with President Trump, because even though I think they found a lot of his behavior completely unacceptable, they also recognize that President Trump drives out voters who vote for them, who ensure that they get reelected. So that is a really 
huge challenge that we face. And, you know, we, we face it in state capitals as well with the stance with getting reelected and doing the right thing. And, and I hope that we, uh, especially as young leaders uh, come to office, uh, we're seeing some new young leaders in the Congress. I hope that we can bring politics back to a place where we do the right thing and we worry about the politics and the electoral implications later. Well, talking about doing the right thing, I know Darren talked about this when she did her beautiful introduction of Ryan. Thank you. Thank you're, you're welcome. <laughs> you were successful in banning conversion therapy. Well, one, thank you. I don't live in Maine, but it's a beautiful place. And I, that's an amazing thing to do. And people are surprised whenever they ask us about our show and some of the interviews we've had. We've actually spoken to people who you wouldn't think have been put through conversion therapy or some version of that, and that it's still happening now. Mm-hmm. And it's shocking to them, not so shocking to us. But if you could kind of talk to us about that process and how you were able to do such an incredible thing, I, I know Darren and I would love to hear it along with the listeners. Yeah, I mean, this is this definitely ties back to the, to, to the idea of fits and starts, you know, that we have to have some patience because sure. I introduced this bill uh, my second term, when we still had a Republican governor, a man who self-described himself as Trump before there was a Trump. Oh, good. And we always a positive. Oh, always great. a positive. Always good. Always okay. Good. Yeah. That's yeah. how I was going to start this podcast, and Liz was like, "Don't say that right." Yeah, off I was like, the top. Darren, I was like no, "Don't do it. Yeah, yeah. Don't do it." Mm-hmm. I did. I did have that on my LinkedIn for a little while, but I did delete that. Oh, right. So uh, no one endorsed that skill. I can't imagine right. one. <laughs> And we had a Republican-controlled Senate. And so obviously there were some clear challenges that we were going to face. But we came back with a Democratic governor, Governor uh, Janet Mills, the first female governor in state history. On the night of her election, I embraced her and, and congratulated her. And I said, you know, how about we, we ban conversion therapy in Maine once and for all? And she said, send it to my desk. And we sent it to her desk uh, in short order, and she signed it into law. And it definitely, uh, by far, the the best day I've ever experienced in my uh, six years of serving in the legislature, mostly because I know what that means to LGBTQ youth who see their leaders, uh, not just saying that they matter and that they belong, but showing with our action that they matter and that they belong and who they are is just perfect. Well, as we would say in the queer community, yes, queen. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, obviously conversion therapy, not only a would never work. Uh, B is cruel and C is just absolutely ridiculous. I can't even wrap my head around it. But one of the things that I actually think is absolutely ridiculous, and and, and this might just be my opinion, is capital punishment. And I'm very anti-death penalty. And um, I'm a huge proponent of the Innocence Project. And I talk about this stuff. Now, the death penalty and making that illegal matters to me, right? Like I care about that a lot. Do I care about it more than maybe taxation or immigration or gay rights? Maybe not so. How do you navigate what's important, bigger picture overall versus like small little wins here and there? What are you bringing to the table? If you can bring her only one thing, obviously conversion therapy is important, but like if it's that or a taxation bill, how do you decide? It's challenging. That's obviously, you know, something that we are always grappling with is making sure that we're prioritizing the the things that we can accomplish. And and making headway towards the things that we want to accomplish over the long term. You know, conversion therapy, I think, was a victory in short order this time around because of the work we did the last time. And in fact, there were implications for people who voted against it. And I think, in my opinion, 
the Senate was no longer controlled by Republicans because they had uh, several members who were in districts where the voters didn't appreciate the fact that they voted against right. conversion therapy and they were right. held accountable in the next election. You know, I, I always try to look at what main people are experiencing on the ground, you know, what they're grappling with on, in their day-to-day lives. This session, I prioritized a housing bill that made the single largest investment in affordable housing in state history. Main people have been grappling with the rising cost of housing for a long time. We don't have enough affordable housing stock. I know this is something that uh, folks can relate to across the country. I know it's not just unique to Maine, but those are the those are the issues that you know I'm obviously focused on, and I want to make sure that at the end of the day, the work we do is is actually helping people, and that that they can right. they can tangibly wrap their arms around the fact that when we send Democrats, in my case, to the legislature, uh, they're going to get results that 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 actually have an impact in their lives. Hi guys, I'm Heather Thompson, host of In My Heart podcast. In My Heart started with the concept of conversations with friends, experts, learning more, encouraging independent thinking, and digging deeper into topics to inspire new perspectives. My vision and mantra for life is finding my freedoms and following what drives my light, energy, and happiness and allows me to shine. I really want that for you too. Please join me each week as I speak to old friends and new about all of the things in my heart, our experiences, and how we find our freedoms together. New episodes come out weekly, every Tuesday, wherever you stream your podcasts. See you then. You know, we sort of touched on this before, but so much of progress and amazing things that have happened, certainly in America, is gathering people, you know, your army of people who agree with you, you know, the LGBTQ plus community and their allies stand up, act, write to your local congresswoman, congressman. But on the flip side, it's also really about bringing the other side to the table and understanding because certainly in the presidential election, I mean, I've seen this flip-flop before where it's eight years Democrat, it's eight years Republican and like nothing gets done and it's just all muddied. How do you navigate that professionally? I mean, how much of your time do you really try to spend engaging the other side as much as possible? I think a lot of time is spent doing that. I mean, just procedurally, there are so many things that require two-thirds votes. So, I mean, we can't, even if you have democratic control, you can't just ignore the other side. You know, you need to build those relationships because ultimately, I think people, when they elect their representatives, they expect us to work together. There's obviously a mandate in terms of policy and what they expect in terms of a deliverable, but they also expect that during that time when we work, or when we're when we work on these things, that this is a collaborative process, and that we are hearing out those who we who we work with every day. And and I think to your point, Darren, I mean, with the swinging pendulum of party control, you need to make sure that you're building an institution that is collaborative, because you could just as easily be on the other side of it the next time. But you also right. want to make sure that there's buy-in from both sides on the issues that matter to us, because uh, if only one side worked on something, it could just as easily be repealed the next time around. Obviously, we saw that with, you know, the consistent attacks on on the ACA, um, although I think it was, I think the Congress was right when they passed it to do so the way they did. But uh, clearly, there was a lot of distrust in the erosion of that trust uh, with that piece of legislation. It's led to a lot of the problems that we face today, but also the fact that uh, the ACA has clearly been hollowed out significantly from the time it was passed and healthcare remains an issue. I think I think I haven't heard a, a, an election cycle in the last 
you know, eight years that hasn't been led with right. the notion that healthcare is broken. I, I had a relationship oh, yeah. therapist once, sorry, Liz, I had a relationship therapist once who said that the best compromise in a relationship is where neither side gets exactly what they want. You know what I mean? And that seems to probably be true in politics. No side can get 100% of what they want. Yeah, my, my, caucus, right. my caucus would not necessarily feel the same way about that, but <laughs> that, that's probably somewhere where the truth lies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You spoke earlier uh, about the fact that you felt like if people really started to have real conversations in person as opposed to online, that that could really bring people together, which I totally agree with. Obviously, it's challenging as we are living in, you know, an unprecedented (laughs) global pandemic. And you also talked about in this global pandemic time that you were able to connect with your faith via Facebook Live going Mm -hmm. to mass in that way. How do you stay connected to the voters of Maine, to young people, to LGBTQ plus youth, etc. during this time? Or do you feel really disconnected? It's a very good question. In some cases, I, I do feel disconnected because so much of the work that I'm used to doing is at the state house and uh, with my colleagues collectively in the same room. And uh, we're uh, about to start our session and have committees start to do the work of hearing bills, and they're doing it remotely. And I couldn't imagine being a first-term legislator meeting my colleagues <laughs> over Zoom. So that's that's certainly a challenge. But with my constituents, you know, f- funny enough, back at the beginning of the pandemic in March, I called through. Uh, members of my community who were over the age of 65, given that at that point, we we knew that they were most at risk. And uh, I just was checking in to see how things were going, if they needed any help. And you would be shocked to know that we, I had so many folks who were just afraid to go to the grocery store. And yeah. so I had a, a group of volunteers who were willing to to do run do grocery runs. And <laughs> I actually I actually got so good with some of these these folks knowing what they want at the grocery store that I I now walk in and I almost think like I need to go get Mrs. Hodge's Fantina bread from aisle six or whatever versus my own grocery <laughs> list. It was pretty crazy to like have a greater understanding of what other people wanted at the grocery store than myself. And I, I, I brought a constituent to two cancer appointments. I made a couple of runs to the pharmacy for a few individuals. That is. Are you single, Ryan? Because my I was brother, literally just about clearly, to ask the dating thing. I was literally. I'm a lesbian. I'm like, can I date you? Like, but also, you, you live like- in DC, right? No, no. And oh, you are in, in Maine. Maine. Yeah, in in Maine. In Damn Maine. it, yeah. my brother. He's really cute. He's in <laughs> wait, DC. I wait, was are really- you are you single, Ryan? Are you single? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <gasps> As you can tell, I mean, I'm doing all this work. Am I-, I just have to know though, like when you go on a date with somebody, like. Are they bringing up like political shit that they want to get? Like, are they like, Ryan, you need to fucking do this like right now. Like we got to get this like conversion therapy. Like what is dating like for a politician? I mean, it's definitely challenging. As you it's can like imagine. Scandal. Don't you guys yeah. watch Scandal? It's the same thing. Hello. It's exactly that. Yes, it's exactly uh, that. Sorry, yeah, go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like being on The Bachelor. Um, no, it's... it's uh, <laughs> you would make a fantastic You would really would. Yeah, bachelor. you really would. We, we should, we, should pitch a, we need to pitch ABC apparently. Yeah. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's challenging, especially, you know, in the gay community, because we, the way in which we approach dating is I think so, in some cases quite different. And you mean the gay male community? Yes. Yes. Sorry. Got it. Sorry. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and the digital age as well, obviously, you know, uh, being careful about what it is that, you know, dating profiles and so on and so forth. So it's, it's a, are you, do you online date? 
Uh, I did for a brief period of time, but I, I have uh, disengaged from the uh, digital dating world. Yeah. Have you yeah. heard of gays over COVID, Ryan? Oh my God. I, I told Darren oh, about this and oh, now I'm, it's never going to It's wild end. to me. It's oh. wild to me. Please explain it to okay. Ryan just before we get to our fun little game because I know bless we're... Ryan's heart, Jesus yes, Christ. He comes on this podcast with <laughs> so these lesbians. Yes. Okay, so gays over COVID is an Instagram account. It was basically regurgitating content of gays who were kind of disregarding, I would say, the suggestion of Fauci and others mm. to be safe during COVID and kind of partying and whatnot. So it would show all these pictures, whether they were partying in Palm Springs or Puerto Vallarta or wherever it is. But now it's starting to get really dark where the gays are starting to turn on each other and mm -hmm. kind of out who is not abiding by COVID safety regulations. And so it's become this whole Instagram account that I was telling Darren about. We had a different guest on. We've really gone down the rabbit hole in it. So yes, I'm happy to share it with you. Well, this is, this leads up to my final some, like toxic Twitter yeah. culture that I've it's seen. Super it is, toxic. It is yeah. but it's, it's also toxic. like gays turning on each other. And you know, it's like, we got to compete with the rest of the world. Now we're turning on each other. But this is sort of this good wrap up question for you, because how much of, of Ryan is, you know, a representative of Maine and of the people, but how much of it is like, I got to be the right gay man? Am I too gay? Am I not gay enough? You know, how much of the, of the gay community is on you being like, you need to fight harder for this or you're fighting too much. I mean, like, how do you square with that? Yeah, I, that's, that's definitely a challenge of before was a, the representative of my district. Now as speaker of the house, I am obviously representing even more than just my district. I'm representing my state and I have to be, I have to be sure that, you know, I'm maintaining an allegiance to the fact that I am the Speaker of the House and that I am representing all people and I have an obligation to to that work and what wherever that work leads me. At the same time, I, I have a strong identity with the fact that I am an LGBTQ leader. I am very thankful for the fact that across the country, we are electing more and more LGBTQ people to office. And so I'm not in this alone. I don't bear, I don't bear the burden alone of representing LGBTQ people in Maine or anywhere else in the, across the country because we're electing people like uh, Senator McBride in Delaware, who's mm -hmm. the first transgender state senator, yeah. uh, Delegate Rome in Virginia, uh, Sam Park in, in Georgia, who I, I think can, should probably take a little credit for what happened last week as he totally. and his colleagues have done so much work to bring Georgia towards uh, democratic victories statewide. So this is a community, as as we know, yeah. we're a family, and I am so thankful that I get to serve uh, alongside my colleagues here in the main house, in the main legislature, but also I get to serve alongside every other LGBTQ elected official across the country, whether they're at the state level, the federal level, or at the municipal level. And I, I feel very blessed and fortunate that I that I get to do that. And I've met so many incredible people as a result. Y'all have a group chat. Yeah, y'all <laughs> kick it on the side. There, they're a, like a gay <laughs> politic. Like yeah, yeah. we we hear Slack, Slack yeah, right. channel. There's some that are using WhatsApp. Uh, I mean, I, I yes, you it. are. It's I not. Follow, yeah. <laughs> you just gave me the name of the title of this podcast, which is going to be called Maintaining with Ryan Fecto. So there, thank you so much. Oh, you, you, you're, so had, welcome. you're so welcome. You've you, you've helped me do this. I bet that um, group chat is lit, though. I bet the WhatsApp is lit. For all the gay, queer, no, LGBTQ politicians. <laughs> Let's get into. Or, or, uh, or in fact, yeah. it's just incredibly boring. So yeah. th there's that. There's Fair. also that possibility. Fair. 
I can't tell if it's absolutely wild or it's literally like watching like CNET or something. And I'm like, oh, my God, we're going to go through all 50 states with this? Like, Jesus. Uh, let's 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 round out this podcast with a game we call Scissor Me This, Ryan. Uh, it's just a fun little rapid fire round of queer bullshitty nonsense that we just like to ask our guests to end on a laugh. Are you ready to play? I, I hope so. <laughs> All right, Liz, tee it up with the first one, which I like a lot. Okay, good. How do you take your lobster roll? Uh, mayo, cold. No lettuce, no lettuce, no lettuce. No lettuce, but lemon. Yeah. Well, a little squeeze lemon. A lem- lemon. Squeeze a lemon. Squeeze a lemon. mayo. And, and sometimes if I'm, if I'm going to switch it up, I'll go warm with butter. Yeah, that's me. I'm, yeah. I'm a warm butter kid all day, every day. Okay. Very hard question for you here, Ryan. Andy Cohen or Anderson Cooper? Oh, I feel like this is this is very problematic and could get me in a lot of trouble. But <laughs> uh, leaning more towards the pol- political side of things, I'll go with Anderson. Okay, okay. fair enough. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. What is your walkout on stage song? <laughs> oh gosh! Uh, oh my goodness! It's WAP by Cardi B, isn't it? <laughs> I thought it was going to be Walk It Like I Talk It, uh, but. <laughs> I don't know why, like, this is my fight song came to, to to my mind, but I feel like that 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 is not my song. But for some reason, that's what's coming to mind at the moment. That's a perfect answer. That's it's, a perfect. This is my fight song. Quite a okay, you can only choose one for the rest of your life, Ryan. PBS NewsHour, Nightly News on NBC, or CNN with Chris Cuomo. I'll go with C- CNN with Chris Cuomo. Yeah, uh, maintaining yeah. that CNN allegiance here, I really. Really go. Wow, man. I got to let Anderson know about this. I'm like, you got to stand up in Maine. Okay, fair enough. If and when you become president of the United States of America, if that is a political aspiration for you, who would you want to sing the national anthem at your inauguration? You know, I I feel like if I could bring people uh, back who have have passed, you know, Whitney Houston. Yeah. Just belting it. I mean, we, we have he's like, a real have, gay, everyone. He's a real gay. Right? We have holograms now, so we can just bring back anyone. Anyone. Yeah, my God. Yes. God. You could Whitney? just play when she sang. The, okay, that's a good one. Whitney. Whitney. Okay, final here, because I'm a sports fan, and Maine seems to lack sports teams in general. If Maine had a football team, <laughs> oh my God. what would the name be? Oh, my God. Well... I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I am a huge Dolphins fan. I have a Marino. I see the Marino. Mar- I see the Marino in the back. So I was like, yeah. Miami Dolphins. What yeah. the fuck yeah. is I am, going I am on? A, I am really out of uh, out of place here in New England. So uh, I take a lot of heat. We do have a football team. Uh, the University of Maine uh, has a has a football team where Randy Moss's son plays. I think that's I think that's pretty notable. Oh my God, uh, okay. this is like all the right, main brochure. Right, right. Like this is the number one tourist thing ever made. You're like, by the way, we've got a university with a football team, and we've got this, this, and this. The next thing is lobster rolls, right? Exactly. Professional NFL team. The main lobster yeah. rolls. That's not terrible. That's not terrible. But that's not I think the main black bears. We have to stick. We have to stick with the with the, the black bears. Black bears. Yeah. No black bears. Not berries. That's a oh. lame football team. Blueberries. The, the main blueberries. The could, main blue. You guys are asking to be bullied. Like you're asking <laughs> to be shit on, Ryan. You're asking for it. You've not been Let's, to Blueberry Land in Washington County. That's, <laughs> like, 
That's on, a trick. It's on my list. It's so weird. It's so funny. It's actually on my list. As soon as I get the vaccine, it's like there. blueberry farm. What? It's that's it. That's it for we me. Actually, I'm to be honest with you, I have never been to Maine, and it is somewhere that I am dying to go state. to. Let me know when I'm, you go. Let me know when you're here. I will provide you with the the. The list I provide all visitors who. Oh, I was gonna say a list. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking you were gonna. I was oh, gonna have a police escort, honey. I want a police escort. I want people to think that I am here. Politics. That's I, what I, I want with the I little apologize. flags the on the car. The list is not sufficient. You're absolutely right. Well, we'll thank we'll you. Thank you thank for you. amending that. Uh, in, in Appreciate past. that. Ryan, as we wrap up here, where can people find you if they're interested in what you're doing, your your policies, you know, the future? Where can people look you up, find you? Your grinder name, <laughs> screen name. Right. I'm just kidding. At, at Ryan Fecto on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Speaker Fecto, and uh, LinkedIn. Of course, LinkedIn. I'm actually yes. LinkedIn-ing you right now. <laughs> Now, that is actually going to happen because I am active on LinkedIn. My idea for adding some new social channel is to add content to, to LinkedIn, which I've never, I've never used ever before uh, now. So we'll, we'll see. But people it, do. People we, fucking oh, I'm gonna love posted, LinkedIn, dude. They fucking weird. love that shit. There's, like a, there's a news feed with content in Guys, there. Guys, I posted a massive little write up on LinkedIn this morning. Like what? Congratulating what myself. Doing? I'll tell you what I'm doing, Darren. She's congratulating herself. I'm congratulating yes. myself on LinkedIn all day, every day. It's a lonely world out there, Ryan. And Liz, we, where can people listen to us? Well, I was going to say, um, I am about to start the scissoring isn't a thing LinkedIn uh, profile. So look out for that. But you guys can find us at SIAT podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Darren is Carpe Darren. I am listen to Liz, but also Liz Cully. Brian, this was such a delight You're to have a pleasure. you. Thanks for having me. We love you. And if we lived in Maine, we'd vote for you even on days we couldn't vote. Oh, that's, that's all true. I needed. That's that's so nice. That's super yeah. <laughs> that's super kind. I'll, I'll, I'll have to ship you a few lobsters. One with, with hot butter. Yes, yeah, please. Always I want hot that butter. shit fresh. Please. <laughs> yes. No one wants a stale lobster roll. But Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on Scissoring. We can't wait to see more of you. Thank you. Scissoring Isn't a Thing is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson. The show is edited by Maureen Begas. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SIAT Podcast. See you next Tuesday.